Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Midnight Snacks with Kyle Lay. We're finally going to talk about the NBA because uh, the playoffs are starting in the form of the playing games for the eight seed in the West with Portland and Memphis. That just wrapped up, so we're going to react to that. And big news for the second time in the history of the show, we are joined by a guest. We're joined by Noah Searson, Big C himself. Noah, what did you think of the game? Uh, you know, first of all, Kyle, I'd like to say thanks for having me on. I know I've been begging, uh, to get on this podcast and I think eventually, you know, every podcast has to have like, you know, your friend of the pod. Um, I, I, yeah, friend of the program. I, I'd eventually like to become one of those, but as far as the game goes, you know, it was a fantastic game. It was exactly what I think we thought it was going to be a lot of offense, no defense at all, which, you know, as a viewer who, you know, really doesn't have much stock in the game. Uh, it was wildly entertaining. I, I thought uh, John ja Morant looked a lot better than he had earlier. I know he had, there are a lot of people in the media who uh, thought he needed to step up in the bubble, and I think he really did and was one of the reasons why it ended up being a close game. But in the end, man, that, that Portland team is way too talented. I, I heard somebody say they might actually be the most talented eight seed of all time. I'd actually have to look back in the NBA's history, but they are a very, very talented team. Uh, and I think they might have decent prospects at competing with the Lakers a bit. I, I guess we can talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Like you look at a team that went to the Western conference finals last year and yeah, they got handled by golden state, but they were what, up at halftime in three of those four games and just let it slip away. I, I can't think of too many eight seeds in the NBA. Definitely not a team that was below 500. They have a team that just struggled. But when you look at their backcourt, it's maybe the best in the NBA with McCollum and Lillard. Definitely right up there with anybody else if it's not. And that's a team that, you know, being the Lakers is obviously going to be tough, the super team of the NBA this year. But if anyone's going to do it in the first round, it's probably them. And when you look at today's game, we'll start probably at halftime is where this game really started to be entertaining. It was a close game at halftime. Portland was up by six. And then Memphis comes out in the third quarter and puts up 42, mostly behind John Morant, who had a fantastic third quarter. He had a career-high 35 in the loss. And pretty much the whole offense ran through him, penetrating and getting it outside. Brendan Clark made some huge threes for Memphis, and they had to take the lead into the fourth quarter. But then in the fourth, it was the veteran backcourt of Portland that took over. And you look at uh, Damian Lillard tonight, he only had 31 and 10, which sounds preposterous. But when you look at what he's done the last three nights just to get them here, averaging 51 and 9, 31 and 10 today is just a drop in the bucket for him. And it was yeah. sidekick CJ McCollum in the fourth quarter that really took over down the stretch. A lot of it against Morant one-on-one in the last couple of minutes. He had 29 as well. Yeah, I was just going to say it was kind of funny that uh, Damian Miller these last couple of games has become one of the most – uh, probably played prop bets uh, in sports. Uh, and he actually didn't hit today. His over-under is 37 and a half. I saw a lot of people betting that over. And like you said, 31 was nothing for him. He looked great. I also loved Yusuf Nurkic, who, you know, he was one of the reasons why Portland wasn't great in the regular season. He was injured and hadn't been playing and wouldn't have played at all this season if not for the, uh, the break that the NBA took due to Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And in the first half alone, he had 15 points, 17 rebounds. I know it's McCollum and Dame that are leading this team, but especially a team that struggles on defense, it cannot be understated. His impact on both the defensive end as 
uh, rim cleaner, but also rebounding because the rest of those guys don't rebound a ton. Melo does a little bit, uh, but he's also been an extremely, extremely uh, important reason why Portland has been able to make this run. Yeah, exactly. And you see him in the first half, I believe it was 15 and 17 points and rebounds for Nurkic. And he played, I think, all but one or two minutes in that first half. And you could see it towards the end. He was out of gas, but still came up with some massive rebounds for Memphis or for Portland in those last couple of minutes. I believe it was a Gary Trent – or not a Gary Trent free throw. It was a little earlier than that. But when it was 111-111, there's a missed shot. He goes and gets the rebound and goes right back up with it and one, gives him a three-point lead. And then he does come up with, I believe uh, – I believe it was Gary Trent missed the free throws down the stretch, and he tips it back out, I believe – uh, Portland came up with it, and that's really what sealed the deal at the end of the game, gave them that uh, six-point lead with under five seconds to go to see it out. And even when he was just doing all the dirty work that they needed to get done with the rebounds and work on the glass. That was all Nurkic. And he was as big a reason why they won today as Lillard or McCollum. Yeah, I totally agree there. And you mentioned Gary Trent didn't have a hot game today, really. But I know at one point in the bubble, he's been shooting – he was shooting like 60% from three – uh, so that's also been, you know, huge, especially when they've gone uh, to a little smaller lineup, putting Mello mm-hmm. at the four. Uh, really overall, you know, this team plays no defense. Uh, and that's why, you know, I really worry about uh, their viability in the entirety of the playoffs and the entirety of this stacked Western Conference. But man, are they fun to watch. Like if I'm going to sit down and watch any NBA game right now, it's hard to say that Portland's not at the top of that list uh, the way they play basketball. Yeah, I mean, they're not necessarily going to hold you to any low numbers, but they can outscore anybody, that's for sure. With the way Damian Lillard's been playing, and if he gets help from guys like Nurkic and McCollum, there's no reason they can't put up 130 on most teams. And that's what they've been doing. They had 134 to beat uh, Brooklyn just to get into the playing game, and 126 today needed every bit of those two performances, but 130 points a game for the last two. They, they can score with anybody. And it'll be difficult for them to beat the Lakers. I don't think they will. I know the Lakers have been struggling, but those games haven't mattered for the Lakers. I mean, they went, what, like three and five in the bubble, and they clinched the one seed a week ago. I mean, there was not much for them to play for. This was kind of just a preseason for them, get their legs back under them before the playoffs. Portland will be tough because they're playing great. But, I mean, the Lakers just have looked like clearly the best team in the league so far, definitely out west. And – I think that's just going to be a little too much for the Blazers to handle with the lack of defense. And if Lillard does go cold, I mean, that's, that's your hopes out the window pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with the Lakers that gives me a little bit of hope for Portland is the fact that uh, the Lakers might have the worst uh, backcourt in the NBA playoffs. You know, they don't have Rondo anymore. They don't have Avery Bradley. I imagine LeBron will probably guard Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard, which will, you know, he'll be able to match up with Dame, but then you still have to worry about McCollum and if Gary Trent's on fire, who guards Mello. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a defensive mismatch. Uh, and I think the Trailblazers could create trouble that way, especially if Nurkic is able to play big uh, and continue to play these big minutes against Anthony Davis, who uh, is probably the best big in the NBA. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of, you know, ifs, ands, and buts that need to happen for Portland to make it a series. But uh, I can guarantee you the Lakers were not looking to play Portland out of any of the teams that could have got that eight seed. They would rather play a team like the Grizzlies, 
who I heard an interesting stat uh, during the broadcast. Dylan Brooks is the most tenured member of that team at three years. Ooh, that's crazy. Which, yeah, I remember him in college in 2017. Yeah, which is just crazy. Uh, or any of the other teams that were mixed in there, you know, uh, Suns, Pelicans, Spurs. Uh, yeah. Lakers probably didn't want to play the Blazers. So it'll be an interesting series to watch. I do think the Lakers take it and probably – five maybe six games mm-hmm. um but i'm definitely excited it's probably the the first round series i'm anticipating the most yeah i mean like like you i think the lakers will see it out but it'll, i think it'll be a lot more like um portland in last year's uh western conference finals against golden state every game's close and entertaining but i feel like they just don't quite have enough to hang in there late and the lakers will pull away down the stretch and it'll just be one of those series where every game's fairly competitive but the series gets wrapped up in five or six games, and it doesn't really look as competitive as it was. This is a series that if Portland plays the way they're playing, it's the kind of test you would expect the Lakers to get in more of the second round than the first round. That's what should make it exciting. As a one seed, you're usually expecting these series just to be absolute domination cakewalks, and it won't be that. That's pretty much a guarantee if Portland can play anywhere near the way they've played down the stretch. But like you were saying, the Lakers not wanting to play the Trailblazers and the West being so talented down at the bottom of the conference – it kind of brings me to what we saw with the Suns as well. They were playing so well down the stretch, just missed out on the playing game. And I haven't gotten a chance to talk about this yet, but the way they played in the bubble going 8-0, and Devin Booker almost surely has to be the bubble MVP. If it's not him, it's probably Lillard or TJ Warren. And they really opened a lot of eyes, a team that struggled big time in the regular season before the pause. And the young talent looks to finally be showing some promise and uh, some competitiveness once they got to the bubble and if they can keep that up going forward, the West is only going to be deeper than it already is now. Yeah. I mean, Booker, there's no doubt he's one of the most talented young stars in the NBA right now. Definitely probably top three in terms of uh, young peer scores and shooters. I mean, he can really shoot the lights out any night of the weekend. He was doing that when the Suns were losing too. I think it's, you know, the team looked like they had a fire under them. I think, you know, even Booker was playing with a little more intensity on defense. That was kind of a knock on him that he's an offensive guy who looked better on defense. And when you have that young core kind of finally buying in, it really shows, you know, how well that they can do. I think that, um, you know, I think we can talk about the conversation of uh, the 8-0 and uh, the way that the NBA bubble was set up. I would actually fall under um, – the opinion that I think that if the Suns go eight, no, if they win every single game, they should be given a chance. I think you should be able to control your own destiny. And I think that was a flaw in the NBA playoffs, which I don't blame them. I really don't think the NBA was anticipating Phoenix going eight. No, I think I saw uh, ESPN's basketball power index had it at like 0.0003% or something crazy like that. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like this run, um could have been foreseen um but don't you think that if a team goes undefeated it's not even the fact that they went undefeated because I know a team like Portland they didn't go undefeated but they also played really great ball so it's like you know they definitely earned the spot but if you're winning every single game and you still can't get get there the question is you know why were we even there in the first place right yeah, that's a tough one for me because when you look at the Phoenix, they go 8-0 and and they miss out on a tiebreaker to Memphis. They finish half a game behind Portland for that nine, for the 8 seed and the 9 seed. So they just miss out on tiebreakers, basically. 
and you look at them going 8-0, and and you're like, well, you know, 8-0 should get you in, but 8-0 would have gotten them in if Portland just had gone 4-4 instead of 6-2, which is tough, because the way the NBA set it up, the the bubble was almost more of an extension of the regular season instead of how, if you look like the NHL did, uh, they just did like a straight playing series for 5-12, through where the regular season was basically wiped clean besides your matchup. The NBA just added these eight games onto your regular season standing. So as much as I want to see the Suns get that shot, you, I also have to turn around and look at them and be like, you were this far back to begin with that I don't really know how bad I can really feel for the Suns. I would have loved to have seen them be playing today, personally. Like they've been probably the most exciting team of the bubble besides maybe Portland with the way Damian Lillard's been playing. And uh, not that this is ever really going to happen again, hopefully, but if they do, I would almost like to see the NBA. I don't know if I'd like to see them wipe it clean and do a playing series because then it doesn't reward teams necessarily for those other 68 games that they played or however many it ended up being. But I would like to see them maybe try to make a system where if you do go undefeated or you go 7-1, and one, you get a little bit better of a chance. But with the way they had it laid out, I can't really feel too bad for Phoenix knowing that they were that far behind in the standings and they really had to play perfect just to get a chance to catch up. Yeah, well, you brought up hockey, which I think that's, uh, you know, the great one to compare it to. It's the other um, league that kind of started up uh, at the end of their season. Like you said, they just wiped it clean. I think that's been the best way to do it. I know it might be a little bit disappointing for uh, the teams that were a little higher in the standings and then get upset in the plan. You see a team like the Blackhawks move on. Um, but I also think that's exciting. Like as a person who's consuming uh, this sport, this product, those play-in series were wildly entertaining. And the, the teams that weren't playing in those play-in series, they still got games, which was important to, you know, uh, warm up and whatnot. They played in round robin, but that also affected seeding. I think it's a little tougher in the NBA because of that, just because, you know, the NBA is a little more top heavy uh, in mm-hmm. terms of where those teams were. Like, like you said, the Lakers had clinched the one seed in the West and the Bucks had pretty much clinched the one seed in the East. So, you know, I don't know how the round Robin format uh, would work for those teams that aren't playing in the play-in series, but I do think that the play-in series would have been very entertaining. And look, you know, it's it, at that point, it almost becomes, uh, more March Madness-esque. Uh, and I really don't think you're adding that many more teams um, since the NBA already has a pretty large playoff. I think the other problem uh, that you could have seen is kind of like the East-West divide, how, you know, there's, I think, six teams in the West that were going for that eight seed, where in the East it was uh, the Wizards playing with God knows who and just getting destroyed in every game. They were like, the only team in the East that could have uh, gone from out of the playoffs to in the playoffs. So I think you would have had a little discrepancy there, but I think that would have been wildly entertaining and hopefully this never happens again. But I do think uh, what this has shown is this idea of some sort of, you know, playing series, playing game. I think this is almost an idea that can be worked into and molded into uh, a regular season in the future. Yeah. hundred percent. I'll agree with you there. Um, when you talk about like the entertainment, the first two weeks these sports are back, I typically found myself watching the hockey games because a lot of the NBA games in the bubble just didn't really seem to matter much for at least one of the teams playing, if not both. And when you did get a game that both teams needed to win, it was great. But in the NHL, it was every game was that. So if there was a competing NBA game with like the Lakers and 
one of like the fifth or sixth teams in the West, there wasn't really much of a reason to watch that other than, oh, well, the Lakers have some star players. In the NHL, like every game matters. And I know that would be tough for teams uh, higher in the standings, but at the same time, if you lose that playing series to a team like the Suns, that was what, five games out of a playoff spot? I, you can't really complain too much because they beat you in a best of five. And unfortunately, um, not that uh, anyone could have predicted the pause happening, but there was a five-month break. It's With players opting out, it almost is like a completely new season now. Is oh, completely. Without trades, it feels like a whole new season with the way teams are playing. So you almost can't even put as much stock into what happened back in February when a team like the Suns gets five months off and comes back looking like a completely new team. So like you said, going forward, if the NBA – does want to go to a bit of a plan round with like seven, 10, eight, nine, or, or however they want to end up doing it. I know they've kind of talked about it in the past. I do think it definitely could work. And this also, I think would have been the year to try one through 16 for the entire NBA instead of splitting them up East and West, because they're all playing on neutral courts and there's not any travel going on because they're all in the bubble together. This would have been the year to try that out. I don't know how viable that is in a regular year just because of travel cost and distance and whatever else. But this did seem like a year where you could have definitely just gone one through 16 and it would have made the fight for the bubble a little bit more, or the fight for the eight seed a bit more exciting on both sides of the conference instead of just the West. Yeah. I mean, I think I understand why they didn't do the East West thing because the reason we want uh, to say, let's just take the top 16 seeds is because the West is so much better than the East like, are the Suns better than the Nets? Yes. Are the Suns better than the Magic? Yes. Like, no doubt the Suns should be a playoff team in the East, but that's only because of the way that the talent is divided uh, in the league right now. So while as a fan, I think it would have been fascinating and would have loved to have watched it, I don't blame them so much for doing that. But like you said, I do think uh, that it would be very interesting to see some sort of seven, eight, nine, ten. I know that I was reading uh, that one of the proposals was to have the seven and eight seed play. And then whoever wins is the seventh seed. And then the nine and 10 seed play, whoever wins that game plays the loser of the seven and eight. And then whoever wins that game gets the eight seed when, and when it's so kind of like mixed at the bottom right there, like you can't tell me like the seven seed is that much better than the nine or 10 seed for the most part. Uh, I, I think that would be a very interesting way uh, to kind of mix it up and almost give it uh, mm. like a March madness type uh, effect and appeal uh, having those upsets in the opening rounds. I think it definitely uh, would make the NBA a little more interesting. Uh, and I think you'd also get a lot of eyes on those games too, because like you said, um, I mean, as far as NBA games go, I watched Lakers Clippers. Uh, that was like the first night that it came back because it was Lakers Clippers. But then after that, the games I was watching were these teams fighting for the eighth spot. I was watching Portland. I was watching Phoenix. I was watching New Orleans. You didn't catch me watching like a Denver uh, Philadelphia game because those teams were cemented in the playoffs and didn't have a ton to play for. Uh, so I do think that there is a big learning experience to be had uh, from this bubble. And hopefully, you know, the NBA is a really well-run league, I think. Adam Silver is a really smart guy, so I think he will take notice of this. Uh, and I am excited to see what he could possibly do in the future of the NBA. 
Yeah, I think also uh, if you bring in that like seven, eight, and then nine, ten playing system where like you play for that seven seed and the nine seed. Uh, if you look at the West this year, that would make uh, Dallas the seven seed, and they had a seven. They won forty three games. Portland, the eight seed, won thirty five games. So there's a pretty big discrepancy there. But then you would expect Dallas to just back that up, take care of business against Portland. And if they don't, yeah, there would be some complaints that they shouldn't even have been in that game in the first place. They had such a big lead, but they should just be taking care of business then. And it would also make those Dallas games a lot more exciting because they finished just two games, two and a half games behind Utah for the sixth seed. So then a team like Dallas, their games weren't overly uh, important to watch because they were pretty comfortably a playoff team. Maybe they can move up to six, but does that really change much? No like you said. And if they're fighting for that 6-7 seed, that's actually like a reason to watch those games a little bit more because there's something on the line for those teams in sixth place that are kind of locked into 5-6 or 7 where it's not going to change a whole lot. And I think that, like you said also, Adam Silver I think is definitely the best commissioner of the four major leagues in North America right now. And the NBA certainly always seems to be ahead of the curve when it comes to making the season a bit more exciting. I know they've been talking about trying to do like a cup competition uh, system like you have in European soccer leagues with like the FA Cup in England going on with the league. I'm not really sure how that would work in America in an American sport where the audience isn't necessarily used to that. Once they get used to it, I think it would be fine. But those first couple of years would be a bit tough when you're trying to get the audience on board with that. But just the fact that you see these reports all the time, the NBA is open to trying these things, I think says a lot about the way the league looks at these. And I think that they're definitely open to trying playing rounds for the playoffs if it makes it more entertaining they're open to anything to get eyes on to get more eyes on uh regular season games playoff games whatever they just want to deliver more entertaining product to the audience and if they think this is what the audience wants they're definitely open to trying it uh one other thing that i wanted to say is that i don't find it very entertaining until maybe the second round of the playoffs you'll get the odd first round series that's competitive more like a four or five seed matchup but most of the top, the NBA is very top heavy. Most of the teams at the top don't really get challenged until that second round very much. And, you know, you get guys like Kawhi Leonard taking uh, load management games like 20 times. And I know that's better for the team, but it doesn't necessarily make me want to watch a Clippers game when they don't have their best player playing. And not that I'm going to fault him for sitting out. You want to win a championship, but it definitely makes it a little harder to watch as a neutral fan. And I don't think there's too much the NBA can do about that with the way that uh, just the sport of basketball works. It's a very star-heavy league with only five players on the court where your best players in a playoff game can feasibly play 46 minutes a night. Like LeBron James in an NBA final, he's not coming out for more than five minutes a game, give or take. And that's why they take those load management games, and I understand that. But you look at a sport like the NHL that is just almost overdone with the amount of parity it has and how competitive – almost every team in the league is, except for a few on either end. And the NBA, there's just a clear-cut top five or six teams, typically, that are going to be the teams competing, where you almost always get most of those teams matching up, which is fantastic. The payoff in those conference finals and NBA finals is fantastic. But up until that point, it's not quite as entertaining. So I think if they tweak some of the schedules around to make playing games happen or to make a race for the six and seven seed important as it is to get into that eight, nine seed, I think that could be more entertaining as well. And that would definitely make me want to watch NBA games more in the regular season than I already do now. Yeah. Almost like building in chaos and kind of like leading the league into direction uh, to go that way. I also think it would be very interesting. 
Uh, I won't lie. I am a Timberwolves fan, and they are terrible. They have been terrible uh, pretty much uh, their entire existence. So when I watch the NBA, I'm just looking for good basketball. I don't really care who it is. I'm just looking for, you know, competition and entertainment. Um, so, you know, from a person like me, and I think there are definitely a lot of other people who, you know, might uh, be tied to a team, but they're also just about the overall entertainment factor of all of the games. I think that's a great idea. And, you know, the load management thing is, uh, it's definitely tough. I don't know if there's a ton that you can do to combat it. Um, but I think, like you said, in a way, uh, trying to turn everything into more of a competition uh, and making the season competitive as a whole instead of, you know, it's competitive for 75% of the time, the final 25% of the time only matters for uh, six teams. I think that would almost help with that issue because, uh, like you said, you know, LeBron in a big game, he's not coming out. The same can be said about most stars in the league. So if you force the stars in the league to play in those big moments and kind of create those big moments, I think it will be huge from an entertainment perspective. And I think it will also be huge in growing the league that is, you know, it's popular in its own right, but I think the sky's the limit for the NBA. Yeah, 100% there. You've seen the NBA just explode the last couple of years where it's at the point where mediocre basketball players are making just ridiculous money. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but like the Timofey Mozgov contract always stands out. He's getting $64 billion as a not so great center. And then you get guys like on the Supermax that are making what, like $54 million a year. Like Rudy Gobert is going to make like $50 million a year by the end of that contract because yeah. he's the defensive player of the year. Like there's ridiculous money for these guys. The salary cap's huge. The advertising money's huge. They have taken off in the past five, 10 years. And there's no reason that they should have to slow down. It's, a super popular sport worldwide too, which is huge for them. And I think that the really the only way that they can continue to improve that is just make the night in night out experience more fun. Like you said, Timberwolves fan, I'm a Knicks fan. I don't really care much about what the Knicks do. They're pretty terrible every year. You know, after like two weeks, like, okay, well, yeah, this team stinks. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> not going to watch them. Um, so I just want to watch the best teams play. And even if it's not the best teams, just teams that need to win games and down the stretch, like this playing around with, with the bubble and Portland and uh, Phoenix hunting down those spots. And then today's playing game was probably the most fun I've had watching the NBA outside of like the conference finals in years. And it's not like it's my team playing. It's just because it's two teams that have exciting young players like John Morant, uh, Damian Lillard, not so young anymore, but just an exciting talent. And even Phoenix guys like Devin Booker, just watching, stars on teams that are a little bit farther down in the pecking order in the Western conference have a legitimate reason to play a big time game at the end of a regular season. And that's what I think the NBA, if they can just find a way to get a few more of those type of games in, in a regular season that doesn't have a five month layoff in between, unfortunately, hopefully this never does happen again, but if they can get that to happen, I think that's the next logical step forward with the NBA, just continuing to go up and getting to like NFL levels of popularity. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously this whole circumstance is very unfortunate. Um, but I really do hope that uh, the NBA takes some of the things that, you know, the fans have given them feedback-wise as almost like a blessing in disguise because I don't think we would have any idea of what we were missing, um, you know, if none of this does happen. You know, if there is no playing game, I certainly – 
uh, wouldn't be like, you know what I am missing today. I am missing the fact that there's no Memphis Portland basketball game today. Like that would not be a thought that has gone through my head, but now that we've seen it, we're like, Oh, we got these young teams. You know, we've got these young, great talents. They're playing hard. You know, this is very entertaining. It'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of ratings come out of that game. Um, for a, what it, what was it, 2.30 on yeah, a Saturday? Eastern, 11.30 in Portland. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of look at the numbers on how many people watched it. But I anticipate a lot of people watched that game because so many people had their eyes glued on a certain amount of cities uh, in the last couple of weeks in terms of NBA, and it wasn't Los Angeles. It wasn't New York. It wasn't Chicago. Granted, New York and Chicago, I guess their teams are terrible. Point being, it wasn't the big cities. It was the mid-market, even small-market teams like Memphis that were really dominating the headlines. Um, And I think, you know, if you can uh, get to a point where those lower teams are elevated a bit more, because, of course, the Lakers with LeBron James are going to be popular. You know, of course – the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis are going to be popular. Like the NBA has gotten to a point where it's very popular. And these like true stars of the league, people are going to watch them no matter what people are going to want to tune in uh, to them no matter what. But if the NBA can get even more into that and say, you know, let's get eyes on Memphis more. Let's get eyes uh, on New Orleans. I know Zion kind of had his injury problems and that didn't work out how they wanted to. But coming into the bubble before the bubble, I think New Orleans was the most talked about team in the NBA because of Zion. So if we can, you know, elevate uh, more teams, I think that will be great for the sport. Uh, and I, I can honestly say uh, that due to my Timberwolves fandom, uh, I've never been a huge NBA guy growing up but in these past couple of years especially this year after we were deprived from having sports for months and months and months I have had an absolute blast watching the NBA and my fandom has definitely grown and you know I'm excited to watch these playoffs but then also excited to watch a full season next year uh, and I think that will probably be a case the case for a lot of people uh, so overall you know NBA going great places uh, let's hope that you know they take the right steps uh, to, I guess, go to the moon with the league. You hit it right on the head there. The league's driven by stars, and the stars that are on good teams and big-time markets are always going to get watched, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and even Giannis. I know Milwaukee's not a big market, but that team is so good, and he's so dominant, people are going to watch him anyway. But what they are doing with making these play-in games and play-in rounds more entertaining is putting stars – or putting stars – like Damian Lillard's a star. No NBA fans to debate that but he's not necessarily in the spotlight this year because his team's a little farther down in the standings. John Morant is going to be a star, but Memphis isn't ready to take that next step into contenders yet. And now you put them on a big stage and they'll get that recognition from more of the casual fans they deserve because these guys are legitimate stars. Damian Lillard's a star. John Morant is close to a star already and he's a rookie. He's going to be a star. Devin Booker, this is probably the most anyone's ever gotten to watch Devin Booker play ever since he was at Kentucky. 100%. And that's the big thing for the NBA. It's like big time basketball fans know these guys. Casual fans that put on the NBA playoffs when they're on and like if LeBron's on on a Saturday night on ABC, they'll watch that. But now those guys are going to start watching guys like Damian Lillard in a playing series that has much more importance than any regular season game. 
And then they'll know who he is. They'll keep watching Portland games in the future because they'll recognize him and how great he was. And he was absurdly good. I mean, this was one of the best week-long performances a player's ever had in this clutch of a spot in a regular season, for sure. And that's what it's going to take for the NBA. If they can just capitalize on the momentum they have from the way the bubble worked out, because it actually ended up working out really well for them with the entertainment value. As a, like you said, a blessing in disguise. If they capitalize off that moving forward, it should be great for the league. So that's where we're going to leave off today. Thanks everyone for tuning in to episode six of Midnight Snacks. Uh, shout out to my friend Noah. He joined the show, Noah Searson. Second guest we've had uh, in the first NBA episode we've done too, which is pretty cool. So uh, I'll tag Noah in the description or whatever. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at nsearson. Uh, Noah, if there's anything else that you want to plug, go ahead. Uh, I don't have much to plug. I was telling you before that I might have a podcast coming in the near future. What I will say is my favorite sport to watch right now uh, in this whole, you know, crazy world we're in has been UFC. There's a huge UFC fight card tonight. Go Daniel Cormier. That is all I'm going to say. Uh, and I know you're a bit of a sports gambling guy. Uh, who, who do we have in this one? Uh, you know, so I got a couple bets. Um, but I love DC tonight, man. You know, he is, uh, the champion of former champion of two weight classes, uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Um, you know, in 25 minutes of playing or, uh, fighting Stipe, uh, has kind of dominated him. He just got cocky in the last fight and got caught by a punch, which happens in heavyweight. They got, uh, you know, powerful fists. So I think, you know, they're working in a smaller cage tonight that plays to DC's advantage. He's a wrestler. He said he's going to use it. Um, so, you know, I would advise to play on DC, uh, and I think it's going to be a great fight. All right. There we have it, folks. UFC 252, right? Yep. That's later tonight. So if you want to tune in to a big-time heavyweight fight in the UFC, that's going on later tonight. Hopefully the episode should be out by then, at least by the main card, when that's probably not going to go off till after midnight East Coast, give or take. Uh, no, it's at uh, 8, I think. Well, yeah, that's it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a little yeah, earlier. Yeah. We should have this out by then. So <laughs> if you're listening to this before the fight, you know, find a way to watch it. If not, you probably already know what happened. So good for you. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe I'm an idiot, but maybe I was right. You, you can, yeah, you, you can know. already know instant results, instant results. So yeah, that'll wrap up episode six of midnight snacks with Kyle. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Noah for coming on the show. And until next time, have a good night, everybody.